Okay. We're good? Okay. Hello and greetings, friends. It's your midweek chapo. We are recording this right now from an undisclosed location in our nation's capital. We are here on Deep Recon for a secret mission that you will find out about shortly. But before uh, we get we get to that, which will be coming shortly, we're taking some time to uh, talk about a insidious scourge that is fanning out across the nation through the forms of you know conferences, blog posts, op-eds. Op-eds is yeah. the, the main front in this war. I'm talking about the scourge of moderation. You hate to see it, folks. You hate to see it. And in order to fight that, we are joined by DC economist and actually probably the only good one, Marshall Steinbaum. How are you doing? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Marshall, we wanted to. I, I invited you on the show because uh, I remember like a, like a uh, it was like a week ago or something. You were you were tweeting from an event. So it was a one day only political conference. It's sort of like you know the Altamont of political moderation, <laughs> hosted in DC. By something called the uh, Niskanen Center. Uh, for the rest of the interview, I'm going to re- be referring to these people as the Nissan Centra Center. But uh, this is the Niskanen Center held a one-day panel on the importance of, you know, maintaining, I guess, I don't know, the center-right and center-left, you know, in the face of increasing radicalism. The title of the, of the conference was Beyond Left and Right, Reviving Moderation in an Air of Crisis and Extremism. So... I want to get into the the conference because man, there are some there's some heavy hitters, heavy hitters. There's some bold names who attended this function. I know you didn't go to the whole thing, but uh, before we get into the conference, could you just like describe what is the Niskanen Center? Like, who are these people and what do they believe in? Yeah, so that's the question that needs to be asked whenever you confront the scourge of a DC think tank, and in this case, the people involved in the Niskanen Center are former libertarians as they say, as they describe themselves, who were part of the Cato Institute uh, up until 2011 when their namesake, who was a uh, DC economist, I hate to share the title with him, uh, Niskanen died. He was a board member of Cato, and that occasion meant that Charles Koch could take total control over the Cato Institute. And so these guys are the people who sort of left in a huff because they were uh, so outraged at the possibility of be- becoming thoroughly part of the Koch machine. And I remember some of these names looking at the list as a as a Bush era blog moron like Will was. I oh, remember yeah. the blog Bleeding Heart Libertarians. Yeah, that's these and guys. It was these guys who said libertarianism markets are great, but we need to not have people dying in the street. We need to like have enough market intervention that you don't have just Hoovervilles. And these were these guys. Exactly. They were in Cato, and then they left Cato when it became a coke a total coke operation. So the, I mean. Like, did they describe themselves as sort of soft libertarians or? or That's a good question. Whenever I describe them as libertarians, they get very angry because they support social insurance or so they claim and they reject this or that. That's part of libertarian dogma that I'm uninformed about. So how dare I describe them as what they obviously have are. You, have you read all of the Austrian economics? Have you Sir? read all of it? You Sir? know, I made it through a PhD at the University of Chicago, but somehow I didn't Woo! actually do that. Wow. God, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you don't you don't you never read von Mises? I, I did not read von Mises. No. Well, that well, explains it. All right. If you had, I, then I would uh, fully understand. They would have been on the bill. If you uh, only Chris read cut it. his mic, I wanted I wanted an informed guest for this episode. So um, broadly, like they are, you know, sort of from they're from the libertarian family tree, but they've sort of fallen off the branch. But the fruit has, you know, maybe 
gotten rotten or not too far. I'm getting very Thomas Friedman with this metaphor right here, but they sort of uh, they like markets, but they also see value in things like a you know social welfare state in a kind of broad, vague sense. I guess that's a generous interpretation of what they okay. uh, believe. What's my the less generous. <laughs> my view is that they will lo- find whatever they can to uphold the. Uh, social order, the existing capitalist class at its place, and they read the changing of the tide uh, ideologically as a need to kind of shift their position, but not in such a way that they sacrifice anything that they actually care about, which is the continued class domination of the rich and the continued uh, racial hierarchy. Okay, so what was this like special one day conference. What what was the what was the pitch there? So I think the idea is that they want to stake out some sort of ground as the uh, twenty twenty election heats up. That you know they've got Trump on the right and Sanders on the left. This was a big theme throughout the conference: the equation of the far right and the far left, um, and that they maintain a vital center. And that not only that, it their their claim is that there's the opportunity for. Uh, you know the the public to embrace such a so, philosophy. So uh, these people, uh, they feel uh, like a beleaguered center, um, you know, penned in on the left and right. But at no point during clowns this conference, to the left of me, jokers to the right. Am I right? Did they make? Use of the classic uh, Steelers Wheel song from Reservoir Dogs? No, absolutely not. There was no references to anything anybody outside of that room might ever have heard of. Nerds. <laughs> so uh, you said they view themselves as the vital center. But, like, they must be dimly aware that there's not, like, a huge constituency for any of the things that they believe in. Yeah, actually, that did come up during the conference. Uh, there was an interesting moment where Damon Linker kind of made reference to the fact that um, the ideological space that they all inhabit actually has no support in the popular, <laughs> uh, in, in the popular Damn. Uh, imagination. So he was like, well, you know, you've got the, the kind of left is all in one quadrant in the right. You've got kind of distributed between the, you know, out-and-out racist, uh, you know, free market people and then the out and out racist, not free market people. Um, but there's nobody who, you know, upholds this sort of socially liberal, fiscally conservative type mantra that everybody at that conference was espousing. So uh, that was interesting. Um, there was no real reply to that. They just sort of moved on from yeah, there. Exactly. I mean, there was a, there was another good moment uh, where the pa- the moderator kind of said, he opened the panel by saying, um, well, what do you say to the criticism that uh, it was really moderates who kind of got us into this mess? And, you know, similarly, absolutely no response from the panelists. <laughs> okay, so first of all, like, so who are the, some of the people that you saw speak? And, and what were the sort of, what was being offered there? Let's say like to a skeptical American public, even, you know, let's say for, they, they pretended that they, 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 they have some, some work to do winning people over, you know, because all the energy seems yeah. to be, you know, moving away from them. What are they offering, like, you know, a sort of restive American public? Well, there was a lot of talk about how identity politics is bullshit. Uh, So that was a common theme that they kind of like to toss around there. Um, David Brooks was saying that, uh, you know, throughout all of American history up until the 60s, um, everyone had a strong sense of community and was in it together. And then thanks to the hippies in the 1960s, we kind of all became interested in our own little space and doing our own thing. And that's where societal breakdown comes from. And so he thinks that there's a way. I think that's what Strom Thurmond said in 1948. (laughs) They're coming coming for swimming pools. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I would say there was not a lot of distance between what was said at that conference and Strom Thurmond's 1948 presidential platform. So you mentioned, you know, the God, the God, the Brookman was DB. there. Yeah. DB, uh, David Brooks was there, but like we got, we got some other heavy hitters on this lineup. You got 
Andrew Sullivan. Oh, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Damon Linker. Yes. Unblock me, bitch. <laughs> Damon Linker, coincidentally, still to this day, one of the only people that ever tried to get me fired. Uh, oh, that's right. When Twitter. you still yeah. work to live right. Yeah. Yep. Well, so getting people fired is a strong tendency in this crowd. This is, something, this, is, this is a pastime that they enjoy. And that Wait, they I forgot like that story. How did Linker try to get you fired? Uh, I just made fun of him because for I I forget. He, was, he wrote I t- a, he wrote a bad take, and Will said your take sucks, and he's like, "Wow, live at live right." Is this how your editors are? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I published a book with you, and this is what your editors are like? He was a, like? like a Norton author, but he was like, wow, like this is what the editors are like there, you yeah. know, and he was very, yeah, very offended that, you know, an editor who Wait a minute, I figured out how they could actually get people to support their agenda. If they can just threaten to get everyone in America fired if they don't support moderate policies. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you joke about that, but I think that is actually their political plan for getting their, uh, their agenda enacted. Oh, great. Uh, and then also uh, Tony Blair. That mm. was the highlight. And I just love the fact that like they're, they're trying to you know, appeal to people and be like, hey, being moderate is where it's at. <laughs> and, and then their keynote speaker is probably one of the most disgraced, loathed politicians in the world. But the thing is, perversely for them, I think they think that that's good. They're like, if you're hated by everyone, you must be right. Because like you're telling people the hard truths that they need yeah, to hear. Yeah, I would say that w- that's sort of a tension that's strongly at play among these people. Because on the one hand, their sense of themselves is as the people who speak the hard truths that you know the public doesn't want to hear. They don't pander. They don't tell people that they can have Medicare for all. It was a strong uh, aspect to the conference that was you know there's no way that Medicare for all will ever be enacted. So you know stop getting so uh, hopeful. You know we all know that this is going to work out in some sort of uh, flaccid compromise. Um, and then on the other hand, they want to claim that they actually present a viable political alternative that people will rally around as an alternative to um, you know, the far right and the far left. So what were some of those alternatives that were being presented? Were, 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 were they just sort of bemoaning how sort of put upon and made fun of they are? Or were they like offering, was there like policy being discussed? And if so, what was it? Yeah, no. I mean, anybody who might fear that they actually have a leg to stand on in terms of putting forward a platform that might attract people away from whatever cause you might care about, you should not be afraid of that (laughs) at all. There was nothing on offer at that conference that could in any way motivate a sort of viable, at least popular political platform. Now, that may not be the the real goal here. I mean, in terms of what actual policy uh, was on offer, uh, there was an interesting exchange about – how to deal with climate change where uh, you know, one of these sort of centrist Democrats kind of said, well, we tried, we tried offering cap and trade. We tried offering a carbon tax. Um, these uh, ideas for dealing with climate change have gotten no political traction at all. Um, and so, you know, given that, I guess the alternative is adaptation was literally the word oh, that she used. Boy. And I was like, how frequently do human generations give way to one another? Like, you have to kind of give birth really quite frequently in order to bring about an adaptation that would deal with climate uh, change. They were talking about the Spike Jones Nicolas Cage film, and they were like, let's all watch it. It's good. It's funny. It's a good movie. I think they're talking about murder domes. That's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense. Just a, a, a plastic bubble, and if you're on the inside, you can breathe recycled air, and if you're on the outside, you get blown up in the landmines they have planted If you were among the, yeah. the Eloy yeah. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, thing yeah. Is, the thing is, left to, left to capital, left to the free market, adaptation is the only policy. And if you know you're you're, you're thinking like uh, the 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 Niskanen Institute people, uh, then yeah, I mean you 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 can reasonably say that they, they would they would say that you know oh a green new deal is not going to happen we're not going to wean ourselves off carbon so let's be serious about it. And adaptation is things like uh, seawalls. But what's so insane is so these people are 
cognizant of the fact that their agenda has no popular support. They're aware that, I don't know if they would call it capitalism, but something in our, in our economic model is leading towards apocalypse, and there's nothing that's going to stop that. And yet they're hanging around. Uh, was this on the weekend? Uh, it was a Monday. That okay. was a good, well, perfect time for all these people. On a Monday, eating lunch meat and hanging out in this fucking ballroom talking about moderation. Why isn't the the Niskanen Center for injecting heroin directly into your eyeball? Well, yeah, you mentioned. Like, why aren't they just being decadent? Well, you mentioned one one moment about uh, climate change. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, so the, you know, on the one hand, you've got this, uh, you know, kind of centrist Dem saying there's no kind of way that we're going to get out of climate change other than uh, adaptation, and you know, that's not really a platform that's actually going to solve the problem. Uh, David Brooks said something like uh, the Green New Deal, you know, is socialist central planning, and we know from the 20th century that that could never work. Um, and I mean, it, it defeated the Nazis in World yeah, War II. Yeah, no, it was. It was, I mean, there was a lot of, I would say, a fanciful historical interpretation going on at this conference. Uh, you know, and it sort of all needs to be put in place because they got to kind of come up with some, you know, fake. So, uh, foundation on which to build their nonsense ideology instead of prescriptions. To Matt's point, uh, if they think that, like, they, essentially we're not going to get the things that we need vis-a-vis healthcare or the environment, like, again, why are they sitting around all day? These are people who love looking at graphs. Like, why, why, didn't, why don't they have a one-day conference to just, like, fucking suck each other and shoot heroin, as Matt said? I mean, these are people who like being seen to look at graphs. I don't think they're people who actually okay. like looking at graphs. Not that looking at graphs is all that great, but this is an affect for them, not really an actual method of you know improving the world that we live in or political organization or well, anything like thing. that. It, it seems like this. The whole the whole point of this is, ladies and gentlemen, we need to, uh, or it's gentlemen, we need to save our phony baloney jobs, right? Yeah, it's like. Yeah. We have given up any hope of impacting the future, but we want to be well-paid commentators and pundits and wonks. Yeah. So we need to uh, convince the political people who actually do have influence that our bullshit is somehow helpful or insightful or can you know be used. So you need to definitely keep paying us. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that's definitely the basic function of what's going on here. I think you know, there's the vast widespread discrediting of basically every major kind of political ideology that's had a grip on power in any time in the last 40 years. And, you know, these are the sort of detritus of that experience who, you know, need to kind of come up with something to be relevant. And that's what they're being funded to do. And that's what this conference is about. So uh, other than the Brookman, what were some other uh, highlights from you were in the crowd that made you want to like eat your shoe yeah, so just sort of chew through there, there was a the seat back in front of you a <laughs> uh, republican official of some sort named margaret hoover i think who she's on the new pbs firing line okay show. she's yeah, taking I'm not... over for buckley oh great and well, she, i think she's promising. like the great granddaughter the great or the granddaughter the, the failed granddaughter of yeah. herbert she might be the granddaughter because no. herbert hoover has lived very long i don't know <laughs> Um, so yeah, so she, there was a great moment where, uh, she was asked a question like, so, you know, what do you say to the fact that the, uh, Republican party, you know, kind of took up the mantle of segregation, that that's been its, uh, real kind of ideological motivating force for decades now. And, you know, especially with the rise of Trump and her answer to that was, I identify with the Western, the tradition of Western conservatism. Like, <laughs> wait, wait, know. like defend Western conservatism. Uh, Does she mean know, like California uh, conservatism? Yeah, she, she, yeah. I, so I was, you know, it's like, is it Western? civilization but so i think what she meant was you know the hoover dam or like you know california oh, oh yeah uh, like like you know those very non-racist conservatives from orange yeah. county southern yeah. california yeah, precisely right yeah. and it's like you know 
I've made my entire life and career in the Republican Party, but, uh, you know, don't ask me that question. I have absolutely no answer to it. I have no (laughs) excuse for the fact that, you know, these people have gotten in bed with racists. In fact, they are racist themselves, and I have gotten in bed with these people. (laughs) That is my entire professional life. Barry Goldwater, famously not a Western conservative. So uh, anything else? Any other highlights from uh, David Brooks? Oh, God. Brooks's historical interpretation is just god-awful. There was the thing about how all of American history was great up until the 60s. Um, he had he basically started by hippie-punching. He was saying, you know, I was brought up as a red diaper baby on the Upper West Side, and then my parents took me to uh, some sort of uh, protest in Central Park, and these hippies were burning their cash, and I was like, oh, I want that cash, and I just, as an eight-year-old, ran up and grabbed as it. As an eight-year-old stereotype. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he referred to actually a, a, a uh, video of himself as a student at the University of Chicago um, being questioned by Milton Friedman, which is actually on YouTube. He was uh, at least uh, ballsy enough to say it. You can see this video yourself of him being labeled as a social democrat and basically having no answer to the supposedly unanswerable questions of capitalist ideology put to him by Blaine like Freeman. you know how are we going to have pencils under socialism? Yes, yes, or yeah, exactly, like that. exactly. Yeah. And by the way, I would highly recommend anybody to uh, look at the full uh, oeuvre of Milton Friedman YouTube videos because there's some really, really great ones about Zimbabwe and and Rhodesia <laughs> and South Africa. <laughs> Uh, and how uh, Europe brought the wheel to sub-Saharan Africa, and so they should be thankful for colonialism. This is a great genre that I would highly recommend that uh, that, that people take a look at. And, well, I mean, I've, edu- I've educated myself mostly through YouTube. So okay, good. Well, so well, you should add to that. So David Brooks got owned so hard he became a conservative. Yeah, yeah, basically he got, yes. His, wow. his experience of that political That just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, God, we're out there every day. So the, uh, the Nissan Sentra people... Like you said, they, they, you know, whether they'll say it or not, they view themselves as sort of soft libertarians or like, you know, they're socially liberal. They, they don't want to be associated with the sort of seedier, uh, racist, uh, crank and death squad part of libertarianism. Uh, but I think like, you know, these people would say that like, you know, if you're on the left, like we have things to offer you as well. Like, you know, we're not, we're not totally against you or like, so like, is that the feeling you get from them? Or like, what are the sort of olive branches that they're using to kind of... Yeah, so my interpretation of that as somebody who is actually on the left is that they all kind of offer up anything that doesn't actually disturb the existing balance of wealth and power. And so we should, as good lefties, kind of take note of what it is that's on their agenda because those are the things that, um, you know, are palatable to libertarians and thus avoid them at all costs. So, like, do you have any example? Like, what? Well, you know, they think that, like, the EITC is great. So, uh, well, you know... Oh, I love it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the solution you to wage... give me a tax credit. My panties yeah. are dropping. Why do, yeah. why do yeah. they think that? I mean, it's, it's, it is just well, a straight of wealth transfer. Well, it's a wealth transfer to employers from the government. So that they think the EITC? That, yeah, because the basically you have to get a W-2. You have to have a job right. in order to get the benefit. So... You know, if everyone's lined up for a job and, you know, you have to get this piece of paper that says you have a job from your boss in order to get the benefit, your boss is going to auction off that piece of paper to the person who's willing to take the largest wage cut in order to get it. Mm. So the way the EITC actually works is to reduce wages in the labor market. It's basically a way of having the government pay people instead of having employers pay people. And that's why it's so popular in the kind of D.C. think tank establishment. I mean, these people... When I think of when I think of guys like this, it just seems to me they have like this strange dichotomy between you know, like as you as you pointed out, saying that um, all of the things that are good and are popular and people actually want are impossible, mm. and what's worse than that, it's like it's actually irresponsible 
to mm-hmm. offer them when right. you, when you and I, the smart people, know that it's just you know we're never going to have yeah yeah I mean there all. was a there was a really really strong uh, theme throughout the panels of. Uh, you know, pandering is the worst possible thing that you can do in politics. I mean, the the uh, Lane Kamark, the sort of centrist Democrat who was saying we can never have Medicare for all, um, you know, her hostility was towards what she views as the politicians who are making such irresponsible promises that they get the voters all revved up um, without, you know, them realizing that, you know, you how know could they just sort of take what they're I, given, take the role know, that's on offer. You know what's funny about that is uh – Saying you're not going to pander is itself a form of pandering. Oh, to these and, people, to and, these people. That's who you're pandering to. And also it never works because there yeah. aren't that many people like that. Like yeah. that was John McCain's whole shtick every yeah. time he ran for president. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going to pander. I'm, do, I'm not going to spin. Straight talk. Straight talk. Right, right. Well, John McCain wasn't a very good politician. I mean, he never <laughs> got elected president for one thing. But speaking of like, this dichotomy, like, on, like that, that's one side of it. But the other half of it is like these people, like the Miss Canaan people, and I, I, I think about that who's that Bloomberg guy? No opinion. He's like Noah a no, Smith, no, yeah. Yeah, big markets guy. They they have this, but they have like the most strangely pen Glossian view mm. of the world. That like this kind of Steven Pinker. We really are living in the best of all possible worlds. We're living yeah. in the future. And we that, always dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that, uh, yep. and that like they, they don't seem to acknowledge that like fiscally conservative, socially liberal has been the dominant mode of politics in Western governments for like as long as I've been alive. It's what made the plane crash into the mountain, Mister Lebowski. <laughs> and like they, they they still have this idea that like no like if if we just just tweak things just a little bit, like we could all be living in moon colonies or something. There's just this very strange, I don't know, disconnect or, yeah, Panglossian vision that, like, that, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 what's happened now, we, A, a it happened because no one followed our advice as closely as we would have liked, and everyone else is at fault. But also, if we had just continued the 90s forever, that would have been like the best of all possible. Well, that's worlds. the insane thing is that the '90s set up the stage for every disaster that came after it. Yeah. So well, actually, so there was talk about this. Their view was, uh, you know, the the big uh, disaster of the '90s was that uh, you know Bill Clinton was you know caught with an intern, and that prevented him from enacting entitlement reform. Um, if he'd only been oh able to enact God. entitlement reform, that would have shown <laughs> that the centrist political. Uh, uh, agenda could you know move the ball and so the voters but wait, come. move the ball in the direction of impoverishing people yeah but i mean don't pay attention to the fact like what do people actually people have to people don't need to vote for these things people yeah. need to feel like their vote is going to contribute their their material well-being yeah, they're yeah. all like they're all like disco stew with a chart of gdb growth <laughs> going from 1994 to 1999 and saying if these trends continue, <laughs> but like, what is their what is their theory of politics? Why do they people? Wh- yeah. What do they think? Like being, what do they think voting is? What do you think people? What do they think people vote for? What do they think? The point of having a fucking economy and yeah. a government is. Yeah. So uh, a gigantic void is the short answer to that question. <laughs> there, there was a, you know, they had a political scientist on one of these panels who was, you know, one of these game theory people who had a kind of convoluted explanation about how we got into a bad equilibrium because the two sides had gone far mm-hmm. apart. And there was, you know, this al- alternative game theoretic equilibrium that could have been obtained but wasn't because none of the incentives of all the actors were in favor of that. I mean – the, the short answer to your question is they have no story of how politics actually happens. <laughs> what they do is cherry pick. So there was, you know, uh, there there was a bunch of people who kind of had this happen, then that happen kind of theories of history. So, yeah. like for example, you know, 
Bill Clinton had set everything up to do entitlement reform, which would have been super popular, and that would have shown <laughs> it that would moderation. Not have been popular. Yeah, yeah, right. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you know so that you know that was like this big failure that kind of got us off the on the wrong track, and then Bush did this, and then the Democrats did that, uh, and then the, Bush, when did, and Clinton, by did this, they mean what the Iraq War. Right, yep, by the way, Tony Blair yeah, is going to be yeah, our, no, our it keynote. Was, no, it was hilarious yeah. actually. Early in the in the day, somebody referred to you know the key. Uh, political events of the last 20 years are the disastrous failure of the Iraq war and the global financial crisis. And yeah. then it was like, yeah, but you had the guy who did those things. No, but like, but they think the, like, yeah, that the, uh, the, fi- like the financial, cr- and I would agree with them that the Iraq war and the financial yeah, crisis yeah, are, that's yeah. why everybody's a fucking socialist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like the, you know, major disasters of our time, but like, but they view them is like their disasters, not because they happened, but because they discredited the things that we believe in, i.e., liberal humanitarian interventionism and yeah. deregulated uh, yeah. markets. No, that's exactly right. Like they're they're disasters because they made our politics look stupid. That's right. exactly right. Because Even though the, they're like they're the, the stupid sh- voters were not smart enough to see that that's not why those things happened. Clearly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was elves. It was <laughs> it was evil. Like yeah, what so is, it, what what the is their narrative? Yeah, what is their narrative like on the financial crash or the Iraq war, for instance? If they're acknowledging them as disasters, no, they, I mean they're not. So so you know they've got these like when you say your narrative, you know, Andrew Sullivan was the other big guy there, yeah. and he was famously the guy who called uh, liberals in America fifth a column, fifth column. Fifth yeah, when yeah. the war started, and then yeah. like he Andrew Sullivan was smart enough, and we, I wrote this in the book. That he was like smart enough because he uh, speaks in a British accent <laughs> that he turned against the Iraq war two weeks before the rest of the American ruling class did. And he's been eating lunch off that ever since as this well, like, yeah. you know, a brave, bold thinker. But I mean, yeah, that guy was 100 percent on board well, up until about yeah. 2006. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I was noticing the name tags of the people in the crowd. These are people. I mean, as you say, the you know, the kind of people who populate these blogs from the mid 2000s. And you're like, oh, that guy is such an idiot. Well, there he was in the crowd <laughs> in 2019 at this conference. So what, like, what are their narrative about, about like the Iraq war or the financial crisis? I mean, I think it's going too far to call it a narrative. It's a this happened, then that happened. But it's not a, a coherent theory of how these things actually come together. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question because I think it's giving them too much credit. I got a question. Yeah. Uh, this is always what fascinates me about these events. Uh, how was the buffet lunch? Uh, you know, actually, uh, so it's funny how I came about to go to this thing. I saw it announced on Twitter and I tweeted something like, uh, can you imagine anybody ever attending this kind of thing? <laughs> and then, uh, uh, you know, one of my Twitter friends was like, why don't we just go? And I was like, okay, fine. So I became one of the people who attended it. And then he and I were like, after the second panel, uh, our phones had died. So we had lost our link to the outside world. And we had to go basically have a drink rather than have their buffet lunch. So that was that was the end of it for I'm us. I was very fascinated by what they serve at these. Yeah, things. it was. It, I mean, I noticed as we were walking out, they had those little um, uh, plastic cups with like parfaits in them. So it's oh. like you get like one or two bites of a parfait. It's, oh, like, it's, it's a kind of think tank thing. Mm. You think the world's gonna end in thirty years? And Just you're drinking fucking, these. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Jesus Christ! You should be <laughs> handing out like fucking meth ampules is party favors what are you doing fucking dorks that's the thing for them for these people and the people they serve the world isn't ending in 30 years for the very wealthy in this country they have way more to fear from the resurgence of populism and socialism than uh, from climate change that's true in their lifetimes and in their children's lifetimes and probably their grandchildren's lifetimes will never experience any negative effects from it and that's what adaptation is yes Yes. adaptation uh, is everybody else speaking of adaptation I wonder how they're going to adapt to the fact that when we get to that lifeboat mega scarcity uh, walls and drones and fucking landmine reality 
How are they going to feel the fact that they're going to be on the same side of the line as all these awful Neanderthal right-wingers who they think right now are so horrible and inhumane? I mean, I don't think they yeah. actually think the yes, right-wingers yeah, exactly. are well, inhumane. They're going to be shoulder to shoulder with MAGA, and I'm sure they're. Well, there are, I mean, some are, very interesting. I, I think they're pretty much already contestants. shoulder to shoulder with MAGA. Yeah. I mean, this is the, no, what, they what are. This, they, you know, this kind of thing is elite solidarity. That, I mean, like, these people, none of these people in this room are hostile to ICE. They're not hostile to our yeah. our draconian immigration policies. They're not hostile to a wall. I just wish yeah. they would fucking admit it. They yeah. just want to be. They want to. It's like this. The entire thing is. Maintaining a market share of the wonk space to keep getting money from yes, like, yeah, that's the, exactly the, the right. guiltier yeah. feeling rich assholes as opposed yeah. to the pure psychopaths. Uh, yeah. And being able to be invited to a larger pool of DC yeah. cocktail parties. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I, I, if I, I go I, too mega, I'm not going to yeah. get invited to the really good parties. You know, yeah. I want to, I, I think that point is worth uh, fleshing out because there's a real danger. You know, they want to be sort of part of the view, at least viewed by the outside world as like part of the anti Trump coalition. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any danger that like actual normal people will see them that way because they're horrible and they don't share anything in common with them. Uh, but there is a, you know, sense that like, you know, the, the, they will be successful in gaining uh, the the uh, prestige in the eyes of their fellow elites kind of across the ideological spectrum mm. that is dangerous in its own way. I mean, my view is, you know, this is kind of how when the left has ever held power in the past. The fact that they have these kind of, you know, pseudo like highbrow white supremacists in their um, in their coalition is how you kind of get the the uh, uh, segregation, the uh, uh, racialized doling out of public goods. You know, that sort of mechanism is because we have to conciliate these people because they're here with us. Um, and then they'll defect at the first possible second when, you know, there's actually there's actually the opportunity or the chance of having anything racially egalitarian happen. Um a, a big theme that I've, I've, I've sensed among these people, but in, in a lot of elite discourse recently is, you know, again, like uh, the left and the right have gotten too radical and like the right meaning Donald Trump because, you know, he's garish and buffoonish and, you know, is a or, crook. Um, and then the left meaning like, you know, socialism, Bernie Sanders. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, was there a lot of conflation of Trump with you know, Sanders. Yeah, okay. I, mean, left, I, mean, like, I mean, virtually everybody sort of started their remarks by saying, like, you know, we here are not Trump and we're not Sanders. We are in the middle. And, you know, those two things. And they, are the and same they, thing. And they view them as like as morally equal. Trump oh, yeah. And Sanders yeah, exactly. They're, yeah, yeah, no, they're populists. Is, yeah. I mean, this is this this is kind of sort of these. I mean, and, uh, frankly, it's a successful strategy on their part. If, if the part if the point is to uh, aggregate interest in the elite, because, you know, of course, the elite. Uh, is totally threatened and ha and hates the idea of having any kind of populist left, mm, yeah. um, you know, just as they feel like they were totally put to shame by Trump. And, you know, if you say, well, we're not either of those things, then you can attract a lot of uh, support, oh, yeah. at least at, you know, at the top. You of got the all that Hewlett Packard money coming in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but of course, if it is and of course it is down to Trump and Sanders meaningfully in the future, because, yeah. you know, the center has collapsed. Yes. Yes. Uh, we all know where they're going to be. We all know which one of those they're going to pick. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We all know it might it might take some gymnastics. It might take a few, uh, you know, soul searching op eds. Yeah, but we all know which of those those are going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no there question. is absolutely no doubt of that coming out of this kind of event. Oh, uh, what were the what were the room parties like? <laughs> you know. It's a little early in the day for room parties. The well, thing how ended when it at four thirty. <laughs> oh. Although you guys missed the coffee and informal conversation. Oh yeah, which I think yes, would that would have been, been delightful. Late. Yes, how could I possibly have Sorry, foregone I, that? I finally found this. This is a. Uh, it's speaking to this Panglossian vision. I was trying to find this. This is a uh, Noah Smith has a big, uh, big tweet thread about 
what neoliberal foreign policy can do and be about. Fuck me up, man. And he just says, uh, the goal of neoliberal foreign policy should be to create a world where every country is rich, secure, and free, and where global problems like climate change can be addressed by robust international institutions. Yep. Dude, that sounds nice. Problem solved. That's yep, pretty yep. Good. Institutions. Sign yep, me on yep, board. Yep, absolutely. And then he just says, uh, uh, finally, neoliberal foreign policy should not support repression or foment civil wars. Definitely no Pinochets or Contras. Partnering with repressive regimes is okay, only in exchange for them becoming less oppressive. Burma <laughs> Burma being a good example. And then someone just said, dude, there's a genocide going on in Burma right now. Yeah, and his dude. response is literally true, but there's amazing opportunity for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, that, I mean, that, that's like, that, that's like uh, you know, typical Iraq circa 2005. Yeah. I want kind of all the groceries in one bag, but I don't want the bag to be heavy. <laughs> that's what it comes um, down to. Also, like, I would say, notice, you know, this neo, the neoliberal foreign policy being about humanitarianism. Like, right now, the entire political establishment, save for the basically left flank of it, is on board with a quote-unquote humanitarian intervention in a country where they've all convinced themselves that a socialist has caused mass uh, 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 unemployment and misery, and the only solution to that is an American invasion by force and the overthrow and the installation of a right wing dictator. So, uh, you know, when we're talking about like what would an actual neoliberal foreign policy look like in practice, like uh, it's, it's right it's there, being in front run of by us. Elliot Abrams and John Bolton <laughs> yeah. out of Trump's White House. But um, unfortunately, you you uh, did not stick around for uh, the heavy hitters, Andrew Sullivan and Tony Blair. So I did do a little uh, research on my own, and I did catch some of Andrew Sullivan's remarks. Ooh. And I'd like to share them with you. Um, all I saw was him. He said, it used to be that, you know, people thought the, the, the role of politics was just to um, keep the ship from capsizing. And the ship capsizes when too many people go to one side of the boat or the other side of the boat. <laughs> and sometimes in your in politics, you got to go to the other side of the boat. If there are too many people on the other side of the boat. And then he goes on to say, the problem with conservatism in America is that it used to be, a uh, the boat was evenly divided between a politics of faith and a politics of skepticism, and now it's just a politics of faith. Uh, and yeah, that's Andrew Sullivan, everybody. I honestly, uh, one of the leading intellectuals <laughs> in America. Sometimes I honestly feel like one of the chief stumbling blocks for anybody, any kind of clear, you know, clearing the fog, the ideological fog that pervades American politics, is the use of metaphors. <laughs> Because these metaphors, they do the opposite. Like a metaphor is supposed to make clear an idea. Yeah, because the metaphor is clear, and then you're like, okay, that's clear. Exactly. So we'll, but know. all these metaphors, they do the opposite. Yeah. They take something that's relatively straightforward, like processes of polarization and you know economic crisis that are right in front of everybody, and they they turn them into like this fantasy, uh, uh like word problem that have it's totally been abstracted from what's happening. Like the stuff about like. Well, you know, you need uh, a plane needs both a left and a right wing. It's just gibberish. <laughs> well, uh, did you did you see uh, the the king of metaphorical obfuscation, Thomas Friedman, had a great thing about how about pies? Do you, do you remember that from last oh, week? Yes. Oh, yeah, growing the he pie. Was like, yeah. He was like, yep. he used to be like like uh, like the there's these four political groups, <laughs> and it was like the center right uh, wants to wants to grow the pie, uh, the center left wants to. Uh, grow the pie r- uh, with regulation, or he wants to regulate the pie but keep it growing. <laughs> the the left he wants to grow and re- and hand out the pie. <laughs> yeah, and there's a left just bake- wants to redistribute the pie without growing the pie. That's bad. And yeah. then the right got to keep growing. And then the, pie. the right just says pulls up the the gates, fills the moat with burning oil, and says we're just eating the pie. Machine guns the hobo <laughs> who's trying to get your pie off the windowsill. <laughs> um. 
But I, I do want to share with you, I did find uh, Tony Blair. He uh, thankfully has made his remarks. Tony, Tony, Tony. At the, at the Nissan Centra Center, his speech <laughs> at the Nissan Centra Center is now available. You can read the whole thing at the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Ooh, By the way, yes. and that has got to be one of the one of the most ominous sounding, yeah. uh, like, <laughs> yeah, sort of non sort of seeing the black the helicopters kind of coming yeah, over his the horizon. Eyes turn completely black as he says, <laughs> we're changing the globe. Tony... Tony Blair, oh, like, hello, no one... Sherman <laughs> right, just I... stopped. Apparently, Tony Blair got uh, Felix to stop gaming for a minute. I wasn't gaming. I was testing my DPI settings on my laptop. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> completely different. Uh, so, you know, maybe you should be at this conference since you're revealing your ignorance while you talk, too. Uh, Tony Blair, I don't think he, like, accounted for how evil he would look as he got older. <laughs> Like oh, he looks totally. No like, one, no one, one no one has been more ready to look like the David D's illustration of himself, <laughs> like Tony Blair. No, has. Tony Blair is, is the example of by the time you hit sixty or whatever, you have the face you deserve. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I wonder though if they paid him as much as you know whatever the Central Asian dictators who boil oh, yeah. people in oil do, yeah. because that motherfucker does not get out of bed for less than six figures. So I, I know I, that. I just want to. Yeah, Tony. Tony Blair is like he he's like. Uh, Patty LaBelle or someone. It's like he has a residency in all these countries. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, like he's I'm like obsessed with like David D's and guys like there's have you ever do you know Martin Noakes? Any of you? No. no. Martin Noakes is this psycho British guy who makes uh like music videos about building seven and shit in the Bilderberg group. We should actually put his song The Trial of Tony Blair in this episode. It's a fucking <laughs> great song. But like so all those guys are obviously obsessed with Tony Blair because he's like Mr. NWO, right? Like, yeah, he's, yeah. if you, you're right about like one or two things like a rock and like finance, but you're also like, and you know what else? Uh, they're, uh, they're putting autism in chicken pox or something like that. You're like, uh, Tony Blair is your guy or he was for a while. No one has been more ready to like play the heel to those guys. <laughs> Tony Blair, he's ready to be. He's just the face of like just evil fucking neoliberal globe trotting shithead. And it's, uh, I mean, if this is a pro wrestling world, he is, you know, old John Cena or something. I guess for those guys. Did you ever have you ever seen Labor's TV commercials from nineteen ninety seven? When they were elected in the uh, big landslide and they broke, you know, something like 16, 17 years of Tory rule. It was just, it was like colorful, young people, very cool Britannia and utterly devoid of any kind of yeah. positions or anything. It was like a Crystal Pepsi ad. Well, yeah. yeah and, and then we know what New Labour did to England, which was create an even more socially stratified and unequal society than even the fucking Tories did <laughs> for like nearly 15 years of unbroken rule. So uh, I want to read here just the beginning of Tony Blair's remarks to the Nissan Centra Center. By the way, uh, he's never, he was not Epstein's plane, but you know that he knows where, he knows where that shit happens. 100%. <laughs> he goes, first, let me congratulate you on your bravery. <laughs> You're celebrating moderate politics? Wow. Moderation. That's so brilliantly uncool. It's like talking to my teenage son about the time before mobile phones. Dad, people really lived like that? Or the virtues, 
Or when the I Bruce- imagine conversations I would have if my son talked to me. <laughs> I don't think his son has talked to Tony since the you know Wendy Dang revelations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dang, Wendy, back at it again with the Tony Blair. It's a damn Daniel reference in 2019. We're bringing that back. to It's as brave as having center-right politics. And he goes, uh, did Dad, did people really live like that? Or the virtues of the long playing record, flared trousers, and polite conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All all things that suck, by the way. Polite conversation is the best. I love it when, like, that's such a tell when, like, center right people are like, you know, it's all going out the window. People who care about deficits, uh, you know, smart zoning laws. Uh, and have you noticed nowadays everyone just, uh, they throw rotten fruit at you? Uh, (laughs) children now just call you, call you shit ass everywhere you go and it's like no but i still have play conversations most people do i think just everyone hates you yeah i mean just rub everyone you meet the wrong way you just suck as a guy that's not a product of the times. yeah i'm I'm not associated with the iraq war so i'm pretty good i can walk it's not even that i think like a normal person who runs into tony blair what the fuck is that? I'm dude? assuming it's, it's the, the coffee, coffee machine. machine, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> it's not because the coffee machine's off. I bet it is. It's not going to get up to investigate. You really are I fucking Tony Blair. Yeah, it's probably in the bathroom, not the kitchen. <laughs> I don't know where it is. <laughs> where would he put the coffee machine? It stopped. Whatever. <laughs> okay. So he goes, um, Tony Blair continues. Um, Back home, certainly in my politics, the term centrist is now used as an insult and the word moderate indicative of some form of political malfunction. He should go on to say, and then my my name has been universally tarnished as a war criminal. (laughs) (laughs) A word of definition. Moderation for me does not mean mild or lacking in passion, but rational, respectful of due process, willing to listen, and centrism has never been splitting the differences between left and right, but forward-looking ideas and ideals before ideology. First of all, how the fuck do you have ideals without some kind of like, yeah, like story to inform your view or moral view of the world? And also I like this idea that he says uh, centrism is not just about splitting the difference between left and right, but the whole fallacy of this idea that they are moderate or centrist is based on that idea because if you know public polling is to believe at all, they're way over in a mi- right to the right in the minority of things that are popular and believed by the majority yeah, of people yeah. in America. If you compare them to the two major political parties. Exactly. Yeah. So they're absolutely just splitting the difference between Donald Trump and fucking Hillary Clinton. And they're like, the, uh, we're somewhere in between there. But like, yeah, issues of, you know, as you mentioned, climate change or Medicare for all, uh, they're not moderate at all. In fact, they're quite radical in their political beliefs and they, they, Oh, believe it or not, actually do put ideology yeah. over practical, yeah. I mean, this reasonable idea, the, thing. This idea that ideology is, you know, the the opposite of whatever they're doing. I mean, these people are the most deluded by the uh, things that you know they they've believed forever, regardless of whatever the facts happen to be or the failure of their major policies. So, you know, I think I mean the strongest ideology and the most damaging one is, in some ways, the exact one that they've you know attributed themselves to not having. Well, he goes on, he goes, uh, but even so defined, there is no doubt, moderation is out of fashion. Is this a ridiculous state of affairs? Yes. So he's doing uh, also classic, classic move, ask a question, that then you answer yourself. He goes on to talk about how in Europe, um, the traditional parties of the center left and center right are under siege. Believe it or not, people actually don't like Macron. Surprising. Hard what to believe. Hell? What's not to love? So here's, a, but then he goes to America because he knows his audience and he goes, 
In the USA, well, you know the position here. The context is clear. There is a deep sense of grievance amongst amongst a significant part of the population. They see a world that is changing fast and apparently beyond their control. The uh, yeah yeah look at these these fucking rubes who just think the world is beyond their control and they feel aggrieved. <laughs> you by know, it. Some you way. know, one Grow time, up, John Major John Major said to me, "People walk around and pity themselves, but I know a great wind is carrying me." <laughs> <laughs> he goes. Um, the financial crisis and the fight against terrorism post 9-11 eroded confidence in conventional policymakers <laughs> and social national voters. And here's, and here's the real boogeyman. And social media provides an extraordinary new platform oh. for political campaigning of the most visceral nature where conspiracies abound and opponents are enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. Tony, thanks to social social media. Uh, yeah. I, thanks to social media. I know you're my political enemy. I wouldn't yeah. have known that otherwise. Well, there was a lot of t- hating on Twitter at this conference. Oh, yeah. oh, like, oh, the they, idea, yeah. like, I mean, they, they were, you know, various of the panelists at times explicitly said, I essentially, I know I'm getting roasted on Twitter right now. And I take <laughs> pride in that. It would be funny if they were, they, it wasn't, they weren't complaining about like Rose emoji people like doing epic dunks on them. They just have alt accounts where they post like opinions about J. Cole. <laughs> they're getting, they're getting flamed about, but it is. I mean, that always is interesting to me that it takes so much headspace up with those people because, like, all that happens to them on Twitter is like it doesn't even happen to all their posts. Just like their absolute shittiest opinions, where they're like, you know, uh, if we if we uh, ha- built more condos in Iraq, less people would have died or something. Uh, the, uh, a real example when no opinion said Nigeria needs a battle sh- or a, uh, an aircraft carrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nigeria, exactly. a totally landlocked country. They're no, not a landlocked. No, country. Okay, they're not. I think okay. of Niger. Uh, no, he said, "Hear me out. Nigeria needs an aircraft carrier." And but, everyone made fun of him. And then, of course, he was like, "Oh, the trolls." But, <laughs> but it's like it's actually so, from it, our interview with Larry Charles. What Nigeria really needs is Hannah Gadsby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but like it is like for most of these people. Like, first of all, they can just like not use it. It's like what does Tony is Tony Blair going to get like a freelance gig because someone sees his tweets like they so don't have to be on there. No, they can't not use it because then they would cede this vital intellectual space yeah. to the trolls. Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing is, is that they are, you know, it's all part and parcel of their deep, deep contempt for the people broadly assembled. Like they hate regular people. Yeah. They, they oh, yeah. have nothing but contempt right. for them yeah i mean their hatred for twitter and social media in general is that this idea that you know the public sphere is now not uh dominated by the ruling class the fo- the funny thing about that is that it actually is and you know i would say an indictment of their uh economic ideology is that they thought this you know great ideolo- this great you know technical innovation would open the space up for you know everyone to kind of displace the uh, uh, existing powers that be, but in fact, those powers have taken control of it and, in fact, use it to their own purposes. And that, you know, they have no answer to. Right. But a regular person can call me a corn cob yeah. without any repercussions. And that cannot be allowed to stand. What that the people had but one head so that I could disrupt it off. That's what. <laughs> yeah. <they did. laughs> yep. uh, look at those assholes over there. 
Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. <laughs> no, I mean, these guys These guys embody the Brecht quote of we should dissolve the people and elect yeah. another. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree, but I, I just want them to have health care and think they're basically capable of self-governance, unlike these people. Uh, but uh, Tony Blair continues, and he says that, you know, look, the problem is that the populists, uh, the problems that they raise are, you know, not unfounded. And he goes, you can't <laughs> attack populism without confronting the genuine issues driving it. The questions the populists raise are often right. The trouble is they're more interested in finding scapegoats than solutions. Again, just want to underscore here, Tony Blair right now should be in a dog crate in the cargo section of a commercial <laughs> flight to the fucking Hague right now. We found a to- we scapegoat, Tony. It's you, okay? <laughs> well, I mean, also the scapegoat that at least some of them, I mean, yes, obviously on the right, the scapegoat is the most vulnerable and least responsible people you could imagine who, uh, in terms of you know where we are now. But uh, but for, on the left, you know, the, the scapegoat is capital and those who wield it, which is the problem. Like the scapegoat is like that's not a scapegoat. That's just the goat. <laughs> that's not the t- ritual scapegoat. That's the actual goat who's like eating all of your fucking crops cans. and shitting in Can- your fucking backyard. Eating I, all this, the cans. This is <laughs> all the cans. This is eating like the pie off your windowsill. This entire thing, it's like. I mean, it's ironic they're so afraid of just uh, the French Revolution is just such a, a bête noir in their mind. But this is like a meeting of the cult of the Supreme Being. It's <laughs> yes. like just ideals with no ideology, uh, problems with no no one who caused them. Yep. It's just it's it's incredible. The I mean, Supreme Being is Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it, it's like. This is one step below just shoving oatmeal up your asshole. <laughs> like we're in we're in the new gilded age and we're just like one step below that. It's just like because they're entire they they love those truisms where it's like they love pointing out problems, but they don't love finding solutions. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, what? They've just spent yeah. an entire conference talking about how all of the solutions are actually impossible and shouldn't be tried. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so, it's, it's a cargo call. That's the only thing that makes sense. So Blair continues. He says, second, the challenge is then to provide the solutions and enlarge the policy debate. The modus operandi of the populist is to take an issue and make a completely outsized policy proposal around it, something which sounds transformative and off the scale. It doesn't matter if the policy is unworkable. In fact, that is an advantage because it's so far out, it sucks the air out of the rest of the political space. Moderate politics, by contrast, looks boring and overcomplicated. I mean, yeah, like Obamacare actually is overcomplicated and enervating to any normal human being. I love the unstated premise, though. They say... The, they propose solutions that are absolutely unreasonable because me and the people paying me will do anything it takes to yes, prevent them yes. from happening. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like we will fight to the last man and the last dollar to prevent that from happening, which is what makes it unreasonable. I mean, this gets back to the whole the the the, the pod save Johns and this thing, this issue about healthcare, and it's not really about ideology and like <laughs> you know, like their whole thing, this this whole mystification, because what they want to avoid saying is like the reason the things we want are impossible is because our politics is captured by a small elite of, you know, private interests that make it impossible to change the system in any meaningful way. And and once you admit that, then it becomes a political problem, which is one that they don't want to, they don't believe in political problems. Basically they believe in, you know, 
uh, mindset problems, mm. mindset problems of the individual voters. And yeah, he, no, this is this is all just guerrilla mindset for politics. It's like yeah. you, oh, you, 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 the jobs left your town, and your kids got a opiate addiction, and you have a hip uh, problem that you can't fix because you don't have health care. You need new tropics. You mm. need a new attitude about it. There's like an old Thomas Friedman article that's like it's an underrated classic, but it's about how American workers need to like get it together to. In his in his words, beat China. <laughs> One of the most insane things I've ever read. Just no basis in anything. Like it's like they're competing summer camps in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's like those rich Chinese kids have been kicking our ass in the color wars every summer. That was Friedman's thing for a while. I remember that. I remember reading an article by his like uh, ten years ago or so. Where he said, you know, he took a field trip to some uh, some uh, tech college in China, and he talked to like young Chinese students, engineers, and uh, said they asked, you know, the United States got to uh, the United States, the UK, Germany got to pollute the world with with fossil fuels for uh, a century or so. Why don't we have the opportunity to do that too? Why? How is that morally right? Uh, and then Friedman says, well, the answer there is. These these young uh, uh, Chinese people, uh, they know that that's the old carbon economy, and they're working on the new economy because they know that they're they're going to be ahead of the curve for the power sources of the 21st century. And then China built like 500 coal. Plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, but his, it's so insane, and like economics is like yeah, a lot of it's made up. Uh, no Can offense, Marshall. Marshall. Oh yeah, but <laughs> okay. it, just the idea that like countries become richer experience higher gdp growth because the workers are like all right team let's get together yeah. <laughs> and raise this gdp it's just nothing to do with like with like supply chains or like trade it just but that's it that's these guys <laughs> they're like what are, what's the solution like social fissure and just you know, someone wakes up every day and all they can think about is just licking the residue of a Fent patch off a white T-shirt because they have no concept of a future because there is none. They're like, all right, you get three friends and then they tell three friends. And then so you got nine friends. They tell nine of their friends. And then you have 64 people working in an American factory. Yeah. And you're going to work for no money to beat the low wages of Chinese workers. <laughs> what I think what? About, when I think about the Nissan Sentra moderation panel, I'm, 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 I'm thinking of the scene in The Fighter where Christian Bale and his friend tried to do a multi-level marketing scheme with the Cambodian immigrants of like Dorch, a fucking some shithole Lowell, Mass. Lowell yeah, Massachusetts yeah, yeah. Um, so Tony Blair says moderate politics must also do radical <laughs> radical <laughs> how about radical <laughs> oh my god this is an era where people want change they want big solutions not timid ones not increments but quantum leaps forward Hit me. we need to show how we will rekindle the generational promise that the next generation can expect to do better than the present the rupture of that promise has created pol a politics of pessimism, and populism thrives in okay, pessimism. Okay, how are you going to do that? Yeah, how are you going to do it? Uh, central to this renewal Here we go. is an understanding of the future and how it can be governed. I swear to God, I could keep I could keep reading this, but it goes on and on like this. This I'm good. It's like this is like this is like just eating a tortilla filled with flour. <laughs> it's just so immobilizing. Like they're, they're running the 
clock out. Yes, yes exactly. Yes, That's yes. all they're doing. Yes. They're just wait, they're just keep talking yeah. until yeah. the seas claim us, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. I love that the world is ending, and they're like, "All right, what are we going to do so we don't get killed? Let's hit him with that old razzle dazzle." <laughs> Solutions are the lifeblood of thoughts. And if your brain, and if your brain was a bank, a book, a certificate of deposit, but many books aren't even written now; they're tweeted. <laughs> Got him. And of course, he goes on to talk about the horrible problem of anti-Semitism and his Labor Party. No, of course, yeah, that's, yeah, the yeah, one, that's like the one. That's the that's only the, issue on the earth. That's the, <laughs> that's the one concrete issue it's with the actual thing, people behind it. And his name is Jeremy Corbyn. Kind of stuck on Corbyn, so we're going to be talking about it for the next five thousand years. Yep. He goes fourth. We must recognize Western politics is fragmenting. Our media is reflecting the fragmentation, and itself, and itself becoming partisan. Two tribes are being formed to the left and to the oh, right. The tribes. At oh. points, they coincide oh, yeah. and for sure feed off each other. We're not a tribe. The aim no. is not to engage the other side in dialogue, but in battle. They didn't come out of nowhere. They built their support in the terrain of our complacency. So he's saying, they view, like, so we need to join the battle, but it's not a battle. It's about expanding the horizons of a future possibility and governing the new ideas that will create the new uh, thoughts of the future. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh, but but no. you know, just be clear, there are no bad guys in politics. There are no enemies. Certainly not me. Definitely not us. We're the good guys here, but we've been complacent, and the bad guys have allowed the have, have only described people. us as yeah. bad guys. So we need to go back into the mind realm of thought battle, but again, do it, <laughs> do it, do it uh, cheerfully and in good spirits. The only people who could possibly invest in this are people who are drawing a paycheck from it. Yeah, because oh yeah, it is the most enervating, soul sucking nothing on earth. <laughs> like it, it, you're either going to decide where it, it, it really is. We're reaching that breaking point where it's socialism or barbarism and like i see the appeal of, of, of accelerationist fascist nihilism over this like it has drama it has energy it it has some it has like a dark charisma like this is just nothing this is eating flour like felix says no one would do this unless they were getting paid unless they were building their their fucking uh compound and their and their uh and their perimeter fence and filling their bug out bag with the with the with the proceeds of this gibberish. That's the only reason anyone would fucking invest in this. First of all, I'm not getting a bug chase bag. I don't care how <laughs> <laughs> This is the last way I'm going out. Uh, but yeah, socialism or barbaroism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you you bring up barbaroism, but I mean, I think this is barbaroism. Honestly, this is barbaroism. No, this is barbaroism. Li- yeah. What they are saying is that the political situation right now has become dangerous <laughs> and unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indeed, mods, mods, and uh, I mean, yeah. Again, uh, they have no they have no fucking solutions or thoughts at all, other than to just sort of keep talking. Yeah, hold another conference next year, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, they're they're appealing to the mods in the form of the billionaires who are underwrite this shit that they will be kept on as jesters and courtiers uh, in, in on the like uh, uh, zeppelins and uh, oil rigs and and, and moon bases yeah. that they survive on in the yeah. afterscape. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know, once again, I just want to be clear: uh, you should never um, on Twitter or on a podcast. Uh, Ever say anything about these people? These people that should, that could be even remotely constituted as a threat. Oh yeah, no, these you people. You can't threat. You can't threaten these people, and by threaten, I mean uh, be like mildly critical of their ill-gotten wealth and idiotic. Or suggest it should be taxed. That's, yeah, exactly. that's yeah. the real violence. Yeah, that's violence because what if you don't pay your taxes? What's going to happen? Mm, yes, men with guns. 
You know, it's yeah. back. I do want to. I do want to <laughs> shout out one person at the conference, uh, a guy who I remember from the the bleeding heart libertarian days, uh, Will Wilkinson, who uh, he was a his parent heart libertarian Cato guy, and then he moved. He quit politics and he moved to Houston to get an MFA and write his novel. This was about I think like ten years ago now, and the novel was going to be about love and loss amongst wonks during the bush administration oh and it was going to be like a romana clay about him because he was one he was like you know a foot soldier for the for the think tank uh during the bush years so it was going to be a thinly veiled uh autobiography of like fucking uh other wonks like getting slapped in the face with a lanyard while having sex at the like the heritage department or heritage foundation a broom closet or something. Oh my god, dude! Imagine just a heavy makeout sesh with Panera soup, still like a little bit of Panera soup crusted on the corners of your mouth. You just push that social security privatization paper off the desk, and just the corner of the desk is wedging into your already square ass, and you're just going to town, going to town right through a pencil skirt. But and I you're just you're just fucking. You pull out and you fucking you. You nut on a chart that would explain how Medicare block grants work. That's so fucking hot, dude. That's so fucking. Oh my god. Holy but, shit. I'll be back in five minutes, boys. So my sometime god. in the last couple of years, without fanfare, he moved back to DC, and he's now uh, like the director or the, like the, ex- the vice president. He wants to of, put you in a Nissan Sentra, Miss yep. Kaysen, and he he's now a Vox contributor. And mm. the book, the novel, has thankfully disappeared from ever. Apparently, it's never coming out. Well, it, hopefully, he read it and realized, as Werner Herzog did, no one must read this. No. But so did in- he ever send out the manuscript to publishers or anything? I mean, probably. I, I never got a copy. Well, <laughs> if, but, uh, you, if you are a listener uh, who works in the publishing that's industry good. I would or like your to know- friends with uh, Will Wheaton, you- <laughs> and I'm you have kidding. a copy of his wonk romance novel please chapo trap house at gmail.com I'm the kind of nerd who has had this like in my head for a decade now the thought of this has been like w- hanging over my head like the sort of Damocles. like one day this awful book about <laughs> rutting interns at fucking Cato or American Enterprise that's gonna come out and and I'm dreading it and then he popped up back in DC and he's like hey let's talk let's talk moderation I'm like wait a minute you were gonna be a novelist what happened to the fucking Dear dear American spectator, I never thought this would happen to me. Will, if you are listening to this and you still have that manuscript, we will publish it ourselves, sight unseen. We will put money towards marketing it. We will buy a billboard. Because he either either put it out there, he either submitted it and no one bit, or he read it and realized, yeah, no. No. All of us will blurb this. And I would like to know which one it was. I would literally, I would... You know, as, as um, a filmmaker myself <laughs> and, um, you know, a fan of certain types of films, uh, <laughs> I would punch up a lot of those sex scenes. I'd be happy to. Uh, I guess just in closing, just uh, reading that uh, Tony Blair speech, obviously the biggest threat to the world right now is entitlements and Jeremy Corbyn's anti-Semitism. Yeah. But I just like, if, like, like reading that, like compare that drivel 
<laughs> that Tony Blair came out with. And then think back to when Corbin was running yeah. and Blair was just like, uh, you know, this is the end of labor. Like, there's absolutely no chance that they're going to do anything. Yeah, they're going to get wiped they're out. They're going to get wiped out in this election. And I'm sure he's still on that. And then he had to say, well, you know, quite, quite honestly, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, compare that, Tony Blair's remarks, to labor in that election. We are many. They are few. We like you must you we're demanding a decent quality rise of life. Rise like I think it's fucked up they shouldn't do that. That's cheating. I think <laughs> that Jeremy Corbyn should have said pointed out that there are many Christians and few Jews. It's not <laughs> wrong of him. <laughs> I I get though. I do get the more I think about like Tony Blair and the older people at that conference, the nineties nostalgia, because it was a fantastically stupid time culturally and better than now. Oh, for say. sure. Oh, I mean, God. yeah, I understand like the, the gay nineties. Yeah. I mean, it was really, it was the guild. It was the last real gilded age. And, yeah. And it was like be, culture was so stupid in a fun way. Cause yeah, those types of people who were at this conference at that time were like, we're pretty close to solving all the problems. And so like the, <laughs> the big thing was like, what if someone says shit on network TV? <laughs> like, chip Remember the the fucking V chip? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. an issue. Is there going to be a little robot in your TV that stops your kids from seeing swears? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no. The, all the issues were like that. And oh it's like, man, it was a just a god bless time. And I like. They all I, thought they were in the driver's seat, and it was the end of history. Well, and it I was mean, like this is going to be it. We're just gonna we're just gonna be tinkering. We're going to be fiddling with the antenna of 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 sociopolitical reality till the end of time. I used to like I used to think a few years ago I thought like all of politics is just different lizard men fighting each <laughs> other over space resources in a way, you know, in a way. Yeah. And now the older I get, it's like it's more people who just they want a certain feeling and for like a small but very moneyed minority. It's just like they want to feel good again. They just want to feel. They want regular. that nineties feeling. Yeah, they I want, get it. I watch, get it, man. They want to. They want to be have that feeling of sitting down to watch the season, the series finale of Seinfeld. Oh my god! You know, Can like you, oh, this is going to be real good. Or the series premiere of Mad About You. <laughs> oh, man, I mean, like imagine, show. like imagine, like you go from like it's nineteen ninety nine. You're like one of if you're one of these guys. You're like, you know late 20s early 30s you just had a kid that you named like fucking hunter <laughs> uh and your your big thing is like south park goes pretty far <laughs> and you're you you know you your big issues are like um how do we solve the cauliflower problem with kids? How do we get kids to eat cauliflower? Let's how do we make you cauliflower? hide it in macaroni and cheese? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so like you know there are uh, Chinese three-year-olds who know the times table. We need to work on that. And it's just, it's all, those are your crises that you work on. And things like the iPod preloaded with U2 songs is on the horizon. You're so excited. And now it's this. Now it's like you, you, ha you feel duty-bound to participate in this world where just it seems like anytime you interact with anyone but your donors, you're just everyone fucking hates the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. And not just that, all the new like there's no sp you read the news now, there's no space to be a guy who's like, you know, how do we make it so that calculus is sexy? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't you can't do that anymore. You can't. You can only do it if you're in TEDx because that's a little fucking cult and so blocked off from the rest of the world. 
but there's I I if if I just knew one of these guys, if they weren't just an abstract to me, I would have some sympathy for them because it'd be like, oh, you want to feel that way again? I fucking get it. It feels bad now. I know. So you wrap things up. Like, are these people just sort of like the the Japanese soldiers in the Pacific, but for the nineties? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's a pretty good analogy, frankly. I mean, I, I mean, you know, on the other hand, they're in touch with their donors on a day to day basis. Yeah. So you know, that's a little different than being stuck on a desert island. So for, yeah, they're still getting paid. Yeah, I mean, shit. I mean, if those Japanese soldiers had like you know food and fucking TV iPads. and shit, it'd be pretty pretty cool. Yeah, dude, just on an island with your boys. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, on an the, the, the cannibalism and dysentery and things like that. Yeah. Fell, fellas, would you live on an Okinawan island, uh, have malaria, eat subsistence every day of your life for 45 years as long as you thought the emperor was still divine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds fun until the storm comes. And you've got to swim to the safe zone in the next circle. <laughs> uh, well, that was the thing. Once, once American troops learned how to build, it was build it was. Over. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's should uh, to wrap it up for today. I want to thank uh, Marshall Steinbaum again for coming and hanging out with us at our undisclosed location to talk about uh, the scourge of uh, moderation. Do you yeah. have anything uh, you want We're to plug? We're in the basement or? of Comet Ping Pong. Yeah. I can say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I've wanted to be here for a long time, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything you want to uh, plug or any any, any upcoming... Uh Oh, I don't know. I'm writing Economics a book about doing- uh, yeah, whatever. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Do those graphs. What's some nerd shit you got? You're all working on? Oh, antitrust taxes, taxing the rich. That's a good thing. Okay, you know, threatening them. Yeah, threatening, threatening the rich. Yes, yeah, yeah. Actually, I yes. mean that, yeah, that is really I, yeah, uh, just, my- it's just like the whole incident does underscore that more than anything, like the rich really are terrified of paying higher taxes. Like, yeah, that's like no, their it's main amazing. Thing. Yeah, and and uh, you know these people. I mean, I would say that it's a good you know it's something that we should learn from. Like that's the thing that they hate most. That's the thing that they're and most, that's the thing that most yeah. importantly that's what the Nissan Central people aren't going to budge on. Yeah, no, no, like, they'll, they'll give you almost everything else except for higher taxes. Yes, or anything exactly. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, again, Marshall Steinbaum, I want to thank you for uh, hanging out with us. And uh, cheers. And next time you hear from us, uh, we'll be filing a dispatch from our secret uh, recon mission. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Living a lie. I've never seen a man so compromised. Stop!